Hello, everyone. I'm Trent Luce. Welcome to another edition of Rural Routes, the program where we gather every day at this time. Andrew, are you going up or down? What are you going to do with those spectacles? What we do when we gather? (laughs) What we do when we gather is continue to address the issues between rural and urban America. It is a Tuesday. That means that I say good afternoon, UK. Good morning, USA. How are you, Andrew? Uh, oh, I've had better weeks, but it, it's it's uh, things are getting slightly better here in the UK, I think. Yes, uh, the human health impact in the United States is clearly slightly better. Um, boy, as things are unfolding, though, it is getting really, really ugly. And uh, I'm sure we're going to address those topics and issues all day here. Uh, Andrew, I did want to have somebody from the pork industry because you and I tend to get hung up on a milk cow. But mm-hmm. with the current situation, as of this moment, 40% on Tuesday morning. It's so fluid that I have to tell you what time. On Tuesday morning at 7.30 Central Time, just over 40% of the U.S. hog harvesting capacity is dark, not taking pigs. Consequently, we're beginning to see piles of pigs show up on social media. And last week, Andrew, I was telling people there will be a million pigs. I'm talking about 280 to 300 pound market hogs that are ready to go someplace to feed people that are being euthanized and buried. And we do have the federal government through FEMA helping that. But, Andrew, I'm now thinking that this could be upwards of 2 million pigs that are going to be buried. And at the whole time, you have Tyson Foods, one of the largest food providers, running an ad in the New York Times over the weekend saying that, uh, get ready, food shortages are coming. I I don't know what the purpose of that was, but we have this bottleneck where pigs are being, pigs and chickens, I'm not going to exclude the chicken because it's happening in chickens, it's not happening in beef cattle, pigs, chicken, and milk are being uh, wasted and people are seeing their store shelves empty. Unprecedented times even unparalleled now to the great great depression in my mind andrew that's what's going on here that's absolutely shocking oh oh oh, there's one other little tidbit that just infuriates me to no end while we are talking about this virus and the over over, the, the just massive migration to the hospitals because we our hospital and the healthcare system can't keep up Hospitals and medical providers are furloughing and laying off workers because their hospitals are empty. It's bankrupting the medical supply, medical the entire medical community. Unbelievable. Where do you start? I mean, first of all, can I can you can I just get an understanding of this? Sure. So what you're saying is that you've got pigs that are ready for processing, yes, but nowhere to process them. Correct. So they have to be euthanized. So is there no window where you can keep them alive until uh, the processing could take place? What's the reason for actually, is there no way you can t- can keep those pigs going? What's the reason for that? There is no way uh, okay. because the pork industry is very systematic. And uh, we'll just use a round number. Every week a facility would have a 1,000 pigs that need to go to the processing facility. That next day... That thousand area, that spot, that spot where these thousand pigs were, there's a supply chain on each individual farm that's taking their place. 
And so there's some, there's production coming. It, really, it's no different than milking cows. It, it would be like, uh, well, why don't you I'm just happy. stop milking the cow for a week? Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I'm beginning to see that one of the fallouts here, because uh, I'm about to tell you a similar story, but how it's affecting us in a different way. I, I do think that we, the other side of coronavirus, if there is another side uh, c- coming through, is very likely to be food shortages, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Because you can't take that amount of food out of the chain for it not to affect somewhere. It's going to affect the producers. It's obviously affecting, if you're getting rid of the animals, then obviously there's only so long you can pay for that, if you pay for that. And I'm beginning to see the same things happening here in the UK and in Europe as well. So Uh, this is very interesting. I have one other tidbit about that 40% of the mm-hmm. U.S. harvest capacity processing, we'll use the uh, U.K. term, processing capacity for pigs. Mm-hmm. Of that 40%, guess who owns over half of it? I have no idea, but go on, tell me. WH Group from China. From China. It's just to me, today, for the first time, appearing to be just a little bit too coincidental that these Smithfield Foods plants are all shut down and the plants that are still running are the producer-owned plants, the farmers here in the U.S. that went together to build their own plants. They're still running. The Smithfield plant, the one Brazilian plant, and there have been three Tyson plants. Tyson is a U.S. company. But the the Brazilian and the Chinese-owned pork plants are dark. That's a huge political story right there. It that, is. Quantified. I mean... And I'm, I am wor- worried. Um, I, I had a, a conversation um, with a gentleman this morning who uh, produces a, a magazine in the UK, uh, which is directly for pig farmers. Mm-hmm. And it's called Pig World. And um, his name's Alistair Driver, and I'm hoping that I'm going to get him on uh, to talk to you all uh, in, the coming, in, in, in the coming weeks, soon if possible. But what Al- Alistair has told me paints a very, very similar picture. And this is what what I think is beginning to happen. Um, the coronavirus, whether it's political or not, and that's for another that's a debate that we can all have, um, is definitely giving major favours to global businesses. And that's something that all governments need to be very, very aware of. Because um, for example, here in the UK Virgin Airlines, the owner lives on a Caribbean island, mm-hmm. pays his taxes away from the UK. But in order to, but his big stick is that there's so many thousand employees that live here in the UK that are going to lose the jobs unless he's bailed out. You know, his right. company's bailed out. Um, and this guy that I was speaking to about the UK pig industry was saying, you know, um, there's there's one or two very worrying traits here the big winners are the retailers because they're the only place in the uk anyway that you can really shop food retailers correct yeah food retailers. yeah so you know you've got uh um so the people that supply the retailers tend to be the really big businesses in dairy there's only two processes that really produce and supply fresh milk that that and again I'm told the same thing happens in, in across the meat uh, 
meat industry in general mm. that the retailers tend to have the big conglomerates supplying them. And, of course, it's those big conglomerates that then can watch all their competitors go to the wall, the ones that supply all the food service industries, <laughs> the ones that supply the hospitals and the schools. And, the, and that, if people think about this, this is, this is huge and it's a big issue. And uh, I'm hoping that um, our prime minister is beginning to see through that. I'm hoping so. Anyway, do you Winston, have, do you have uh, indications that he is? Well, uh, they've announced a, 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 a framework for a package to help um, to help farmers that are in hardship today. Um, it's not a huge package, but it's a start. I'm not, I don't agree with it because it's not being lobbied for properly by our National Farmers Union. They're not united, so the government mm-hmm. can exploit that because if they're told. That some, if everybody's united, it's much harder for a government not to respond in the right way. But we are not united in the dairy industry. Uh, the pig industry is very interesting, though. So I wanted to come back to this. That what's actually happened with our pig industry is that the main suppliers of pork in the UK um, to, the, to the retail markets are British pork. The main food service suppliers come from Europe. And what's actually happened here, which is very interesting, is our uh, processors haven't closed down, which again adds a bit of fuel to your fire. And our British pig prices are increasing across the board mm-hmm. because the Danish and the European uh, uh, suppliers who supply all the, um, the food service market, they can't get their products here. So that's interesting. So beef has been badly hit. Dairy has been badly hit. Chicken has been badly hit. But the pork industry is being very resolute because most of the food service end is supplied by Europe, mainly Denmark. So that's very interesting that that market is starting to look very positive. Having said that. Uh, Andrew, I think I'm going to ask you to say having said that when we get back with the second segment of Rural Route. I'm Trent Luce. That's Andrew Henderson coming to us from the U.K. across the pond. Before I let you go, I want to tell you about one other domestic supply of food that I fully endorse. That is the certified Piedmontese business. 100% of this is grown, packaged, raised, processed in the Great Plains of America between Nebraska, Kansas, Brush, Colorado, Omaha, Nebraska. If you want to be a part of a system that does not rely on foreign interests, then get more details about Lone Creek Cattle Company on the web at LoneCreekCattleCo.com. It is the certified Piedmontese business. We'll take a break. We'll be back with more Across the Pond and Andrew Henderson talking pigs. I kind of enjoy this, actually. I didn't think he could do it. More after this. Welcome back to Royal Route. Trent Luce, Andrew Henderson. He's across the pond. Unless you're listening in Cheshire, then I'm across the pond, whatever the case may be. (laughs) Suddenly, I know all of these towns, you know. And that's good, isn't it? It is really good. I need to, I need to I've been, uh, one of the things about lockdown is that it's got me watching uh, one of your uh, Netflix programs called Ozark. And uh, it makes me realize that, that there's some beautiful countryside there in uh, Colorado. I'd like to go there, that's for sure. It looks really uh, lovely. They have a Netflix program called Ozark that's based in Colorado. Is it? Is it Col- Missouri. So where are they? Missouri, sorry. The Ozarks are in Missouri. Missouri, yeah, but it looks beautiful there. It really does. It really Uh, does. Yeah, okay. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) 
I, I like, like I left Missouri, Andrew. Did you? I did. I lived in Missouri for seven years. Did you? I don't tell people that. Why did you leave? <laughs> uh, Missouri has this wonderful backwards culture that we love to make fun of. But uh, you're going to find this really strange. Missouri has too many trees for me. Ah. Well, it does look as if it's got a lot of trees, but I spent some time in Vermont, and Vermont has a lot of trees too. <laughs> I, I'm just a prairie guy. I'm just a prairie guy, you know. You know what the, the motto of Missouri is? This will explain why they, they – and by the way, they're not offended. Some of the yuppities might be in St. Louis and Kansas City by saying that the Missouri folks are backward, but their motto, do you know what their state motto is? No. The show, me. the show me state. The show me state. Yeah. Okay. So it's like I don't believe you unless you show me there, partner. <laughs> <laughs> now you see that that's this um this competition that comes from having a uh, uh, fifty plus states to be able to compare yourselves against each other. Exactly. Uh, and one of the things that I think is a very good thing about the United States of America is that every number plate a says where that car. Um, is it, where the home of that car is, but it also promotes whatever that state thinks is important about that state. So, are you telling me that in Missouri it just says "Show me on the on the um, yeah on the number plate"? Show me state. <laughs> Show me state. Yeah, which for, an ex- which for an exhibitionist creates all kinds of opportunities. <laughs> uh, okay, and what about uh, what's Nebraska's? Tell me, is it the the the, the, the rancher's state? Funny you mentioned that. In the 50s, for about five years, it was recognized as the beef state. And there Mm -hmm. are license plates today. We had a resurgence in that old motto. And because we are the number one red meat production state in the United States, we produce more beef and pork than any other state. Uh, But in the mid-50s, they went away from that, and we became the good life. Nebraska, the good life. Two years (laughs) ago, Andrew... Yeah, it'll be two, two, a year and a half ago right now. The Department of Tourism for the state of Nebraska decided to change our state motto. And there is, I could give you until all the chickens were milked in the UK and you would not come up with what our new logo is. Our new motto, not logo. What is it? Go on. Nebraska. It's not for everyone. <laughs> you are. <laughs> no. <laughs> At 30 days. No, not 30 days. That was released in November of 2018, that new. And in March of 2019, we had the most historic, severe flood Nebraska's ever seen. And so people were like, well, I guess we got that right. It's not for everyone. <laughs> That's very funny. But, you know, it is free advertising. And whoever whoever came up with that needs sacking frankly i mean that's ridiculous and, and you know what because i'm i'm envious of that like i i showed you when you were here there's more concentration of dairy i, I know I, i'm big on dairy in cheshire than anywhere else in the uk and yet there's only one tiny processor here now and what we need to do is to um is to give people the stories of all the different um uh, areas of, of both the uk Absolutely. and the us and Really, the beef state, that's a great, that's, that says it all, doesn't it? I mean, oh, it, it does. gives you, why, why wouldn't you think about what's best for, I think is, am I right? Um, uh, Wisconsin is America's dairy land. 
Correct. Uh, California is the sunshine state. Is that right? No, no, the golden state. Florida is the sunshine state. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, the golden state. But at least there's some uh, relationship to what you do. And um, Kentucky. What, what state? Is that the chicken state? <laughs> sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what? you've been to Kentucky. What's the pride and joy of every Altec symposium? Where do we go for Kentucky night every year? Uh, Except 2020. Oh, yeah, it's the horse state. Yeah. Bluegrass state. Bluegrass. Yeah. But don't they have, isn't there either a myth that there are blue people that that, that, uh, come from that area? Oh, no. You're talking about the, uh, oh, I don't know if I want to say that because I don't think that's right. I'm thinking the black lung. I don't know. The blue people. I think you should look it up because I did, and it scared me because there were people that have had some sort of uh, uh, relation <laughs> with. I have a very dear friend who a lot of people like to make fun of. You should actually Facebook friend my friend from Kentucky named Lindsay Blue. Lindsay Blue, really? <laughs> Obviously, runs in the family, and he has a cousin. Who's really making his way in country music singing? You guys got something in common, right? Well, yeah. we'll do that. But um, going back to that, can, the, can you know that I'm a Kentucky Colonel? You do know that, don't you? I forgot. Yes. Go yeah. Ahead. Well, I'm just telling you. I'm saying I'm a cooking. I'm a Kentucky Colonel. Sometimes I find it hard to say that properly, but I am. That means anyway, fried chicken on the weekends. Sort of, yeah. It was to do with Nemi milk, actually. But there you go. Um, <laughs> Coming back to this um, global... Uh, I think we're better off talking about the states. <laughs> I know. That, the great thing about this states thing is that I, I've realized that coronavirus is bringing out the best in America and the worst in America because I'm now beginning to see we get um, we get a lot of your media now coming a- across here. And I'm beginning to see that there is quite a lot of animosity between states at the moment, which we don't normally no, see. No, you're not right. Oh, I'm not right. Okay, sorry. Explain you, to me what You're almost is. right. The animosity is even internally in states, but it is very much urban versus rural. Okay. And, and, and if you look at, it, it happens every four years during the presidential election. When you look at the results of the presidential election, like Hillary Clinton won about 50% of the vote. We won't get into that whole story. But she only won like 24 counties in the entire country. Mm. I don't remember the exact number, but it was minuscule. But the counties that have 5 million people and the... So I, there's not a lot of animosity between... Even though we pick on California, Andrew, some of my dearest friends are from California. And they, they feel like, I, I wish I could get out of here. Because there's three counties in California that completely dominate the political landscape. And so I didn't want you to think that or lead anybody to think that the animosity is particularly between states. But what you're alluding to, I think, and where you're going to go with this is that it's the very heavily populated states versus the least populated states. And take Chicago, for example. Mm -hmm. Chicago Mm -hmm. completely dominates Illinois. And Illinois... 500 miles from Chicago to southern Illinois, and the people, the poor folks that live 
in McLeansboro, Illinois, in this, down by Kentucky and Indiana, they have to deal with the repercussions of the political decisions in Chicago. So the animosity is more rural-urban than it is state-by-state. State. Does that make sense? It makes sense, but it also um, gives me a lot of encouragement about what you and I got to try and do, which is to bridge that gap between um, between rural and urban America. And, in, and the same here in the UK. And this discussion that we're having about... Um, Big global corporations getting more power because of this current world crisis is a big problem. There's a guy called Tim Harper I'm, I'm hoping to bring on uh, next week. Tim is the manager of uh, Blankney Estates. Now, that's a big, big arable operation over in Lincolnshire. And they um, they focus on growing crops for uh, animal nutrition, but also for the brewing industry and also into the retail industry with obviously with wheat and barley, you make, you, with wheat, you make bread and biscuits and all those things. And I was speaking to him this morning and, you know, he was telling me something that really did make me think, wow, this is a big story. And that is that he's seeing, do you remember in the 70s? And I know it was the same in the US when we were down to maybe four or five or six large breweries that basically ran all of the uh, um, uh, alcohol industry worldwide. Certainly in the UK, they were all they were all sort okay. of joint owned, and you lost all these different fantastic beers from all over your the states and over the UK. Now he's saying that because of coronavirus, that what's happening is that all the small businesses um, they can't sell to the pubs because the pubs are closed or the bars are closed. So the only breweries that are, that are doing really, really well at the moment because people are still consuming alcohol are the people that supply the retailers, and they tend to be the ones that are geared up to massively distribute. Massively distribute. Andrew Henderson across the pond. I'm Trent Luce. More rural route happening. Hey, the Nutrition Coalition working to get rigorous science into our dietary guidelines. Go to nutritioncoalition.us. Get involved. It doesn't cost you anything but your time. More after this. Welcome back to Rural Routes. We are into the second half of Across the Pond for the last week of April 2020. Andrew Henderson joining us from England, the UK, Great Britain, British. Any other names you'd like to be? No, I'm quite happy with the UK, actually. So, massive distribution of alcohol to the pubs from the large entities. I'm, I'm not going to lose you in the woods on this one. Go. Yeah, we I had that. to interrupt you. Yeah, because what they're saying is that at the moment, you know, we've got this huge increase in these microbreweries that are supplying these fantastic products to all these pubs. But, of course, all the pubs are closed. So now what's happening is that all those small microbreweries uh, have no, you know, they've brewed their product. There's nothing, nowhere for it to go. And don't forget, most of it's pasteurized. So it's uh, it's only got a certain shelf life. So all the product that they probably made for um, April, May and June is going to go to waste. And yet all the big breweries who supply the supermarkets with the big branded, you know, dishwash tasting beers, they're all selling like mad. And what's going to happen here is, that when we come out of coronavirus, the breweries, if they're not out of business, they're going to be on their knees. And what he's already, this chap was telling me was, he's already seeing that the big breweries are seeing it as an opportunity to resupply the pubs and the, and, and the, the restaurants, which they haven't been supplying for years. So it's, it, it really is very worrying 
there's going to be some huge winners and some a massive amount of losers here. Yeah. Well, I'm going to have to contact some of my friends like Cody who joined us on the air a couple yeah. of weeks ago because I don't think that's the case here. I think the opposite might be true. Um, all of our retail outlets, all the, of the liquor stores, because you can buy alcohol in a grocery store or in a liquor store. That's not the case in all states, but in my state that certainly isn't, and I think most states. But, Andrew, in the past 10 years, there's been such a push for local craft breweries that uh, the big breweries have been struggling. Quite frankly, they created that whole Super Bowl debacle around Bud Light and Coors Light even though they're owned by the same company, they act like they were competing against each other on high fructose corn syrup because the craft breweries uh, have really put a dent in their business. And and well, all of those yeah. craft breweries are available in our retailing and liquor stores. Uh, well, that's not the same here. I think you're miss, missing a little bit of a point that I'm trying to make. The, yes, there's bottled craft beers available from all over the world in our supermarkets, and there are as you quite rightly point out, there's some very good local brews. But the actual pubs, as you know, in the UK, they have this beer on draft. Mm-hmm. And that only has a certain shelf life. And right. all these microbreweries supply that beer in draft. And that beer is, is being tipped away because it, there is no consumption of it. And they've got a monopoly of that market now because their product is better. And what I'm saying to you is that, that very soon, yeah. the big boys are going to be able to capitalize on this because... The, the small guys are going to very be very lucky to survive this. That's the problem. I, I understood that. The difference, and somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but the difference is if you go into a pub in the United States, typically it's those brand beers that are on draft. Right. Craft beers are in the bottle. Uh, well, it's different here. Very yeah, different. Right. Yeah, I was just thinking about, I, I mean, you and I did go in that one pub once. and mm-hmm. And so... Once? <laughs> Why do I have to give that away before you're like, once? Yeah. I'm just <laughs> thinking, your nose just hit me. Your nose just hit me. <laughs> but anyway, uh, you know, some pubs would have uh, the chosen local craft beer. Mm. But by and away, the, the craft beers in the pubs were in the bottle. Do we pasteurize our draft beer? You You do... Uh, 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 you do a bit. Yours has got more preservative in uh, than ours, understandably, because you're having to ship it across the whole of the United States. But our local beers, the ones that you had here, they've probably got three weeks to a month, and that's it. Hmm. So, and don't forget, you, the breweries are brewing a month in advance. Right. So, all of April's has gone to, to waste, at least all of April's, probably all of May's as well. And that's huge because that's every that's every pub in the UK. And an awful lot of those beers will be exported as well, you know, in draft form. So there is a big problem, a real big problem here. You're telling me in the UK the the craft brewer has a bigger problem than the pig farmer. No, 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 I'm not. I'm saying that, oh, the the pig farmer in the UK, he's okay because he's supplying the the retailer. Right. Um, That's the the funny – but that's the only industry so far that I'm seeing – you know, turn the tables on 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 the virus. The rest of the industry, the, the the fresh food industry, is suffering big time. Obviously, we've got we've got problems picking the fruit. That's one of the big problems we've got here at the moment. We apparently had eighty thousand positions to fill, and only thirty thousand have been filled. So we're going to have a lot of wasted fruit and vegetables. But as you say, that's only going to end up in one thing, and that's going to be food shortages. 
that that I fear is what's coming next. So with your population density being what it is and mm. our pork packing plants are typically in more sparsely populated regions of the U.S., why have you been able to hold all of your processing facilities in check and continue to operate while we have not? Well, we're going to interview the guy next week because I think you need some answers on that. There's something there's something very suspicious going on from what you've described. Mm-hmm. Um it also tells me, and you you have covered this uh, before, that your food service industry, uh, for pork anyways, is probably a lot bigger than ours. Correct. Okay. So, and you, and I'm assuming as well, you have a big export market too. Twenty five percent of the pork we produce is exported. Yeah. Well, you see, we aren't sufficient and self sufficient in anything. It's mostly countries that are over. Um, um, their national capacity that supplies. Denmark is a is a famous example of a country that produces almost 200% of everything that they need. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's an incredible uh, model that they've got. They are export through and through. That's what they do. But um, I'm I'm very interested to. There's obviously some effects here. And by the way, these effects are, are only just starting to happen. Sure. We're going to see things that we've. This has been. I'm not, it's a catastrophe without any, nobody can describe it as anything, but the cost, it's just, it's mind-blowing, the cost of all this. Did you, uh, and I'll, you're going to, I'm going to remind you of our very first conversation about how severe I thought COVID-19 was compared to how severe you thought COVID-19 was, and I think that happened the moment you picked me up at the Manchester airport, but did you see the Stanford report? that came out of Stanford University, their medical school, last week on Thursday? No. Tell me. It said in a very summarized point blank, COVID-19 is no more severe than seasonal flu. It has completely been blown out of context. Okay. Well, that I'm not disputing that you told me that when I first met you. Okay? What I would say is that we were both wrong because... And I'll say why we're both wrong. You cannot look me in the eyes and say it hasn't affected the world. It's apart from uh, World War Two. This has been the biggest shockwave to hit the world in a hundred years. No argument. Okay. And when we la- when you landed, I don't think you for one minute thought that that would be the repercussion. I did. Of- you're tr- okay. you're correct. Okay. Where I, I'm beginning to think that the only thing that the only issue that that, that you and I have, um, I suppose, a difference of opinion is that my fear was that, that I know our government's view was to lock this country down mm-hmm. so that our health service could cope with the cases as we went through the virus, because we would have not been able because of our dense population, our health service would have not allowed us to cope with the peak if we just let it if we did have just go for herd immunity and let everybody catch it we couldn't we would have, we would have had people who couldn't be cared for that's why our government did it i'm not saying that other places couldn't do a different thing because sweden obviously have although we're now seeing a spike in their cases but what i would say to you is that that's the only reason that you and i have a difference of opinion is that it was just about whether your health service can cope with it yeah all right but now we know i, I agree with everything you just said but now we know that because of political actions, 
more lives yeah. will be impacted negatively because of we have people not going to get their stents put in uh, elective surgeries that go beyond just somebody mm-hmm. said a facelift uh, the medical community is bankrupt people are going to die because of the lack of, lack of access to food companies are struggling small businesses are going to struggle mental health is going to be a struggle because of the political decisions that have been made and the media is reporting as this being the ultimate plague going to kill us all which was completely false we have a one percent death rate in the united states on people who are positive uh we have negatively impacted people's lives forever because of fear okay you you and i are doing this because we want to promote um, the great things from both sides of uh, the the uh, Atlantic with regards to our potential to produce great nutritional food and let food be the new health service and the right. new doctor. And 100%. Exact. So, look, my, my father, God bless him, used to say to me, you know, out of every problem, there's an opportunity. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. My God, there's a lot of opportunities at the moment. Oh, man. <laughs> and, and so I would, I would turn that around and, and, and try and say to you, look, what we're discussing at the moment gives us an opportunity to let the public decide. And that's one of the great things that is starting to happen. These views that you and I have got are all over social media. The public are going to decide the value of food, the value of – it is – the one thing that coronavirus might do, it might backfire on those that maybe used it in a conspiratorial way because it, I think the general public are going to see through it and it might actually start us to reshape how we produce and uh, monitor our food intakes in the future. Okay, let me take that one step further. It's mm-hmm. up to you and I, my friend, mm-hmm. to make sure that that happens. We cannot yeah. sit by idly and say, boy, I hope that happens. You and I need to be the messengers and make that be, create this ripple effect by throwing a pebble in the pond to continue to, to create that ripple. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. That's why I'm very passionate about doing this, because I think that um, the more I hear about the, the effects of this, the more we've got to get people on our side and, 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 and say, look, let's let's come out of this positively. Let's look at how, you know there's going to be a huge debt to repay but that huge debt may well have a fantastic legacy in terms of changing people's views on the environment and how to maintain it and improve it uh it's andrew henderson i'm trent loose we need to take a break one more segment of across the pond on a rural route he already told you about the exarban 2020 pig challenge we disseminated those pigs last week those kids smiles that's what it's all about right there andrew that's the most important aspect exarbonstockshow.com we will have an exarban stock show the last week of september grand island nebraska maybe we'll get andrew there more rollout after this be good all right kelly's <laughs> welcome back to roll route trent loose alongside you know all about that andrew well yeah you have two gorgeous daughters Oh, uh, well. Dude, they, they didn't get it from you. The milkman was a very handsome chap. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, so when I spoke in Dublin, when yeah. you and I officially met mm-hmm. and became lifelong pals, uh, I learned in that trip 
that, you know, as a kid, I learned in, in school that the Irish potato famine caused one million people in Ireland to die from starvation. One yep. million people fled. Many of them came to the United States. It shaped the United States. That's what I learned. When I was spent five days in Ireland, I learned that there was a potato famine. No, I mean, restate that. There was a famine. The famine was caused by the crown continuing to export food instead of feeding the people because they chose profits over their own people. And so while there was a a blight on the potatoes, the real starvation came because of political decisions. I see more parallels between that and what's happening today than I do the Great Depression, to be honest. I, I hate to agree with you. But I am beginning to feel that certainly in, 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 in the way that the uh, custodians of our future have behaved in this last um, two months, I, I'm beginning to think you're right. I think that the, that, that the whole way that this has been dealt with right from the start, um, you know, at the moment, you're not even allowed to go into China to find out exactly what started this so that we can right. make sure it never happens again. That's number one. Number two is them. Then they're using their power now to, for example, I see that the European Union's watered down its response to its views on COVID nineteen with regards to where it started in in China. I think that's really sad that we can't be strong enough to ask them the right questions. Um, and I, I, as I say, I prefer though to look at the fallout and then and then assess the opportunities. And one of the things that I think comes up through loud and clear is that um we produce safe food mm-hmm. um and lots of it and you in particular in the usa do and that has got to be a great tool for your country in and in, in the future and um i think that the uk because of we are at a similar stage of development in terms of the industrial revolution and what's happened with technology i think that we also have a very clean environment and we also have a, 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 a potential to produce the best food in the world alongside you. So let's take that strength and let's go and, and, and share that message to the rest of the world. That's the, that's the, that's the message here. Let's, I spoke to a, a, an editor of a, a newspaper last week and he was saying, do you know what? If the vegans had as much positivity and great stories as farmers – they would, they would be consuming 80% of the world's products at the moment. He said, but they haven't. They've got a very, very low level of positive stories. The problem that the agriculture industry's got is we've been very poor at telling our stories, really poor, and we need to get a lot better at it and really promote you know, the values of, of the way we look after the countryside and then the way we look after the animals that provide us with fantastic nutritious food, period. Yeah, That's what we're going to do. In fact, I've been thinking about it and even debated uh, one of the prominent animal rights activists in this country just two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. you know, my whole thought process, as you and I have this discussion and, and we talk about China's now putting a directive for people to increase their milk consumption because milk is a contributing factor to improving your immune system. We see that milk, meat, and eggs, all of the things that you and I are passionate about, are vitally important and are part of the solution for fixing people's health. We know that. 
And so I yeah. lapsed into this thought process, Andrew, that the animal rights communities are screwed because all of the facts and all of the science is on our side. And just yeah. the opposite. They are on the front lines touting this is because people eat animals, which is completely false. It's fake news. You can't document it. But it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's true or not. They're saying it. And we are not as aggressively telling people how important proper diet and the things that you and I have been talking about, the things that we've been talking about in terms of assisting with better nutrition as people age so that you're not susceptible to things like a virus. They're winning the battle. Uh, absolutely. And you saw my um, pebble from last week where I was up in the borders of Wales and, and England. You can't grow anything but fantastic nutritious grass up there. And what are you going to do? Ask the vegans to go up there and crawl on their knees and eat it? You know, it really is laughable. And yet, they'll be the very ones that will be up there with their partners in their leather boots hiking. You know, with their banana sandwiches. And at the end of the day, that's what makes me, you know, really, really, my blood boil. Because um, you, you can't have your cake and eat it, can you? You know? Who said let them eat cake? Mm-hmm. Well, and as I say, I'm, I, I think it's time that we fought back. I, I'm beginning to feel that there are people that are listening to what we're doing. I mean, last week's interview with Giles was amazing because, Fantastic. Uh, you know, there, there's a guy passionate about producing great food, got all the recipes, 200 years old, the similar stories that you're going to be able to tell us, you know, that story that we had from the brewer over in, in Nebraska was amazing too. We need to get these stories out there, get people to talk about those issues and how those products can help them have a better life. Um, and I I think this is a good track to be on, to be honest. I think it's a great track. Uh, you, know? you know, Saturday there's going to be a lot of depression in the United States based around Kentucky, right? Just explain that. What's that about? Kentucky Derby will not happen for the first time since World War II on first Saturday of May. It just... Well, all all the sporting, you, you don't need to tell me about unhappiness. We waited 30 years to win the Premier League. We're 28 points clear with nine games to go. We only need to win two more games. And it looks, you know, it could be that Liverpool won't be crowned champions because we won't finish our season. And we, made it, we waited 30 years for that. Is that um, what the Chinese were really trying to conspire to prevent with <laughs> Liverpool to finally win? Well, I think it was the, the Manchester United supporting Chinese. And there's a lot of them. Believe, believe it or not, there's a lot of them, and they're in Wuhan. Oh, no. There you no. go. Now we know. We have, we have unraveled the mystery. Yeah, yeah but I, I'm, uh, you know, as I say, um, I've never known my life changed so much in such a short space of time. Um, and uh, But I've I've resolved that we must make the world a better place after this and be positive because um, at the end of the day, your health is everything. And, um, you know, it, it probably means that we're going to have to um, pay back debt for a few years longer to get this, to get our, our, our finances back in order. That's going to be the problem, isn't it? So yesterday, Hank Vogler and I, we were discussing this debt because we now are just handing out money left over right. I mean, yeah. a hospital is getting $13,000 from the federal government for every coronavirus positive case they have. They're getting $39,000 if that hospital puts 
that patient on a respirator, a ventilator, excuse me. Um, and yet the hospitals are going broke. But beside all of that, how can hey, wait a minute, stop that? How could the hospitals go broke if they're getting all that money, Trent? That doesn't add up. Because every bed is empty. There are no. I can take you to hospitals in Nebraska, South Dakota that don't have a single COVID patient in it. So what you're saying That's is the that overwhelming story, Andrew, is that everybody so thinks that everybody's sick with COVID and the hospitals are empty. So what you're saying is that those hospitals are empty because you're on lockdown and people that are getting should be getting uh, operations for an emergency or whatever you call it. Uh, Stents put in on a heart, yeah, as an example. So that's why they're going bust. Right. And yet New York, they're probably faking it and saying that everybody's got coronavirus and just making millions and millions of dollars. Is that the, the truth or not? Uh, I'm not going to use the word faking it because they're very populated. They do have more COVID positives than anybody else, but yeah. they have the ability to. They don't need body bags to be floating, going out and what they're trying to create this mass grave area with caskets or, or plywood boxes. That, that's not. That's all fabrication. That's theater trying to mm-hmm. drum up things. I knew we were in trouble. The day I knew that there was something going on other than just a virus is when the first celebrity, the first week, Tom Hanks says, oh, I've tested positive. And that minute I heard that, I'm like, there's something going on here other than just a virus. Mm. Oh, and by the way, I'm in Australia. I'm sure I'll be fine. See you later. That's what he said. (laughs) I, I can't argue with that. Uh, but we've got people who think here that our prime our prime minister um, wasn't even ill, and I, I I'm sorry, I know he was ill. There's no way you could conspire that one. You know, he was in intensive care because there's too many people that would have been in contact with the prime minister to know that that had to be the case. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't I, dispute the virus is real. No. I dispute what the virus is doing. Right. Okay. Well, let, let's um. One minute. Yeah, we, we, you and I, um, I, I, I have no way of substantiating or not substantiating what, you, what you've said. But what I would say is that we, we both will agree on one thing, that it's gonna, we're not going to disagree on what the repercussions are. The repercussions right. are extraordinary. And um, what we need to do is, have, is make sure that they're positive repercussions. That's what we need to do. Um, it sounds like you've got a good um, governor there in Nebraska, that will help you do that? Is that is that how, how you see it? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, in fact, I was communicating with him last night, and this is how strong he is in his convictions. I have friends who are implementing plans for uh, aggressive testing in pork plants so that they can keep those pork plants open. And mm-hmm. I contacted my governor. I said, Governor Ricketts, there's a plan going on in Missouri uh, that they're working with the state of Missouri to accelerate this testing program so that they can have a license to operate. And he was like, I will not tell a business how to do business. That's not the role of state. Well, That's well, the kind of governor you need. I mean, he just will not cross that line. Well, there's a business here that's um, set up, setting up a way of testing staff um, for clearance to work as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a quite a clever initiative. Um, but one of the things that somebody showed me yesterday was that um, actually the coronavirus in the Western world, the last four coronaviruses, apparently by the middle of May, 
it's very likely that it will disappear. Um, our, our, you know, that's what I'm looking at some scientists showing this information. So let's see if that happens. Because yeah. if that if that does happen, it'll be very interesting to see how the world reacts to that. That'll do it. We've successfully journeyed down the road, connecting rural and urban America and across the pond in the UK. For Andrew Henderson, I'm Trent Luce. Both of us reminding you that all roads do lead to a rural route.